Whoa. Welcome to church, everybody. Good morning. All right. All right, let's do it. But everybody stand up, we'll get our energy going. song to rise to you when temptation comes my way when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay one more time teach my song to rise to you temptation comes my way when I cannot stand up fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay Lord I need you Lord I Singing over me, 
Good morning. Okay, this is working great. Hi, good morning, church. 
Good morning, beautiful day out. Um, my name's Maddie Marshall, and um, I get the privilege of facilitating testimony time. And so this is the time in the service where uh, we get to remember how God has worked in our life recently and to encourage um, one another with that. So I know it definitely encourages my heart, um, especially when it's hard to see God working in my life. It's just an encouragement to see um, him working in the body. So um, who would like to share? You can raise your hand and I'll bring you the mic and you can share with us how you've seen God in your life recently. morning church um, since we're all in Michigan we all super appreciate the fact that today is such a beautiful day and um, I just wanted to encourage everyone when you uh, see that flower opening up or you see that leaf opening up that you just stop for a minute and just appreciate what God gives us and the beauty and all of that so I just wanted to praise God for that Thank you, Ken. Who else would like to share? All right, Harvey. Good morning, church. My name is Harvey. Uh, good to be back. It's been two weeks in Florida. Uh, my nephew has a blueberry farm, so it was blueberry picking. But the most important thing is that I had a chance to be with my sister, uh, Pat's 88 years old, and she is beginning to forget things. So I praise God that I had an opportunity to spend um, a week and a half with her and uh, that I would ask that uh, prayers be given for Pat Keel, and that uh, when we go back next year, that she'll still know me. Thank you. That's awesome. You got to go and spend time with her. It's great. Anyone else? I guess I should look this way, huh? Great. Well, going off of what Ken said, I was just thinking about um, just seasons. I mean, school years are ending and things like that. And so um, I think with the season change, it can feel like, man, stuff's changing so fast. Um, but I'm just really thankful that God uh, doesn't change um, when everything else does. And so that's something I wanted to praise God for this morning. So, all right, well, I'll pray and we can continue with our worship. Um, Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. God, thank you um, just for the beautiful changes in our world, the flowers and um, just the sunshine. And uh, thank you, Lord, that you are constant. Um, God, we thank you for Harvey's trip um, to see his family and just the blessing of time with people we care about, um, something we don't take for granted these days. We ask that you would uh, continue to give him and their family those moments together. Um, we love you, God. Help us uh, to see you um, and feel you in our worship this morning. Amen. All right, if everyone wants to stand one last time for one last song.
Good morning. Welcome to Genesis. I'm Sandra Guzman de Grimm. I'm one of the elders here, and I have some announcements for you. Please take a moment to let us know you are here by filling out either the digital connection card on our website or the physical green cards in your pews. You can place that physical green card in the wooden box at the back of the sanctuary. Genesis the Church Leader Training is this Saturday, April the 30th, from 10 a.m. to 12 noon. It is in the coffee lobby. It is for anyone who is leading others in any context. The topic will be mental health training, better understanding and approaches for mental health issues for any leadership position. The purpose is to inform, increase confidence, address concerns that you may experience as you lead in a safe place with open discussion in an interactive format. The topics that will be covered are mental health overview, do's and don'ts, self-care for yourself and those you support, tips and strategies, resources. Please join us this Saturday at 10 in the lobby. Also, you belong at the table. We are continuing to pattern our eat, I'm sorry, we are continuing our pattern of eating together following worship service on the 1st of May, the first Sunday of the month. Our theme for this lunch is old school potluck. Let us break out of the classics for this lunch time together. And here's, here's Manya. Good morning. 
Uh, my name is Manya. I work with the kids. Um, so I've got a couple of announcements. I came up for one, but I'm giving you a couple. First of all, the, uh, Genesis is a place where we want you to belong and for you to help other people belong. So, you know, coming and being, learning more about mental health helps you to lead, whether you're leading at home with your kids and helping them feel safe there, whether you're leading here with us, whether you're leading at your job, um, on the note of leading with children. We need a few more people who would love to step in and help lead kids on a Sunday morning. We're stepping into summer, and as we step into summer, we're gonna step into a whole bunch more, like just chill and fun. So it would be a really great time to come and volunteer with us because you can just do a bunch of hanging out and getting to know before you have to do a bunch of bossing around and teaching. Um, it's always my favorite to boss around kids I like, right? So that's always fun. If you are new here and or you've been here for a while and you enjoy teenagers, um, they're super fun. They're not as scary as they seem like they might be. Um, we're looking for more people who would like to help us with middle school and high school. Um, this summer, we're going to just be hanging out. Again, good time to get to know them before you have to try to boss them around, tell them about Jesus. Um, if that even like catches you a little bit where you're like, I mean, I, I might like teenagers. Will you come and talk to Nikki or I, and we will love to just grab coffee with you, get to know you a little bit, see if that might fit. You can hang out with us this summer, see if you like them. Um, and then one more for, that wasn't my announcement either, but Camp Lael. On Memorial Day weekend, Genesis has the run of the entire camp, and it is awesome, fabulous, and amazing. We just hang out. We just camp, except we do church service on Sunday morning. It is a great place, whether you're, you know, two or 80, to come and just be. They have cabins. You don't have to pitch a tent. If you've got little people at the beach, everybody helps keep them alive. It's amazing. Like, for real, you're like, I can't go camping. I have three little kids. Yes, you can, and it'll be really fun. Um, so if you want to know more about that or you want me to talk you into it, I would love to. Catch me after church. Uh, you may all chat with one another. The extroverts love this, so humor them and talk to them. And we'll be back with you in a few minutes.
Good morning. So glad that you're here. You have chosen to be together out of desperation, out of habit, out of need, out of guilt. You've made this choice instead of yard work. And we pray that it be one that as we are together, we would sense and know and feel and experience the love of God together. Be reminded, animated by it and by one another. Thank you for your constant giving. We used to have this thing called an offering where there would be this basket Ours was gold-plated, <laughs> gold-ish plated, <laughs> with a soft, like, velvety bottom, and you would pass it through, and, and people would place in uh, gifts into it as a way of just gratitude to God, and as a way of a, of a pattern of fueling churches, fueling ministry, fueling, fueling and, and supporting the longings and the kingdom of God here on earth through the organization of churches. And with that, we don't pass the plate, but there is a box in the back. If you want to drop something there, you can. And for those of you who have that pattern of opening your hands, using the resources that God has given you towards good in this world, being from missionaries and nonprofits and churches, we're grateful. We're grateful for those of you who open your hands and give to neighbors and give to the community. For this is what Jesus said is the love of God. And it's made evident by the love of one another. And we exist for the love of others. And so thank you. For those of you who are making those online given, for the checks that are coming in, and for all of that, we know that God is our provider. And so let me pray with that reality in mind. So God, thank you for being a good provider. As Jesus taught us to pray, he said, God, may your will be done on earth, breaking in here to earth as it is in heaven, your goodwill that is in heaven. May it break in here and let it be at God, and may we be quick to do it. Your will, your good and pleasing will. So, Lord, provide for the needs of the world through your hands and your feet, through the body of Jesus. Animate your body, Lord, with the opportunity to move with your great love. So come, Lord, we pray. Amen. So this is a fourth Sunday. We, got, we had this pattern ever since we started gathering again like in person. We've been playing with a pattern, experimenting with the pattern. And the pattern has been, oh, the first Sunday of the month we... We, we kind of hold the pattern that the church has held for numbers and numbers of years. Worship, teaching, wow. communion. Um, if the, Somebody is unmuted on Zoom. Off, you know, they missed a dose. And so now, so is that throwing me? No, it's five total doses. I think you'll still finish it tomorrow. That's only four then. Go ahead, please. I've only had two so far. We should be able to find them. We normally don't allow them to unmute. But there we go. So that is the first Sunday. The second one, we move into discussion because we grow in our discussion with one another. 
In Ephesians, it says that you grow because of one another, each of us using our gifts. That sometimes is opposite of what we've been taught and what we've experienced when we come to an organized church thing. Most of us have the belief that we grow when somebody who is paid uses their gifts to encourage us so that we grow. But yet Ephesians talks about the body of Christ working together, that all of us growing up to maturity. And so that's why we move into that discussion as a way of helping to remind us it's not a few, it's all of us bringing to the table all that God has given us. Our perspectives, our learning, our gifts for the good of one another. So we do that on the second Sunday. And we try to reinforce that and encourage it because some enjoy it and some don't. Kind of like everything. <laughs> the third Sunday is much like the first, but the fourth is worship in action. And that's where we encourage us. We, we inspire us with a little teaching and we encourage us to move out in love to the world. Two months ago, we, uh, we taught for a little bit and then we gave out Starbucks cards and we created a little moment to say, Lord, who would you move us to in order to be an expression of love to? Anybody Anybody remember that? I, I do too. Um, here's my two cards that I grabbed that I still have. With a couple people's names on it who I haven't been able to meet with. I, I did contact them, kind of, sort of, but I wasn't, wasn't able to meet with them. Last month, we, um, we packaged up 50 plastic eggs with candy in it. We said, oh, love your neighbors, love your coworkers. Uh, love, make, make it easy, it doesn't have to be hard, you don't have to throw a Martha Stewart Easter party with deviled eggs and things like that unless you want to, but it's really meant to be simple. Did anybody grab any eggs with candy in them? I, I did too, here's mine right here. Still packaged in the eggs with the candy in them. Yeah, Mike's like, huh, what, what the heck, man? I know, Mike, I don't know, all right, you know? Um, so, so you can see. I'm doing great at this. I don't know about you. I'm just going to keep uploading up crap at my house, you know, that I haven't used yet. So it's the fourth Sunday, and we're going to move ourselves towards love again, and so I'm going to double down and have us do two things. Or we pause and say, does Lord want to do something maybe a little bit different today? So maybe your experience has been like mine. And believe me, I had ideas where I wanted to move us out and encourage to stir us towards love and good deeds. And I got a chance to talk to Betty this week who lives over at Barton Towers, right across the street, subsidized housing over there. Betty's saying, oh, I love all my people in there. If you haven't talked to Betty who got baptized last Sunday as she's 80, you have to. You have to hear her story and hear her love and see Jesus in her. She says, oh, I just want people to know Jesus there. And I do that just by smiling at them, asking, caring, seeing the unseen. And it's like, oh, I want to move everybody to help Betty and join her over there. But yet, I think the Lord has something a little different for us today. If you love that and you want that, go grab Betty. She's ready to go. Yeah, Betty, we'll let I know it hasn't quit, Betty. So, if you want to love the unseen, if you want to join with people who are in places where people are lonely, come talk to Betty and say, hey, how could we do this together? How could I help love people? That's who we're trying to be, um, but moved by the Holy Spirit, not by guilt. 
not by duty. And so each time we do something on these, on these weeks, we want it to be the, we want to lead ourselves into the presence of the Spirit of God, not into the presence of duty or obligation. And so if you're like me, I want to love. I want to love others. I want to, I want to give my life away. But sometimes you find that you're in the need of love more than you have the opportunity to do the loving. Sometimes you find that the afflictions of life are heavier and bigger and make it impossible to be able to step into all the things that you desire to do. And so it can feel like loss or guilt or shame or that we're somehow not doing something right. If we can't live up to all the grand ideas and the imagination that we have about what it looks like to give ourselves away. Well, that has been my story, my wife's story. And so I wanted to pause today and share uh, a couple of things today out of that story. And so where I want to encourage us today one, I'm, I'm, I'm reading a couple of books right now. It's for um, a teaching series that we're going to lead into in a couple weeks called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, inspired by a couple of different books that I'm still wrestling through. One of them is with that title, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. Just looking at that massive teaching, not the whole of Jonathan Edwards' teaching, but that one famous sermon that has grabbed the hold of the mind, hearts, and fears of many people. But another book's called A More Christ-Like God by Brad Jersick. And it's just saying, oh, what are the ideas that we have about God? I was, I've been reading those things and it's influencing. It's influencing my thinking, my mind, the scriptures that I'm reading. And in it, I was reading a blog post by Brad and it had this title, What If God Has Our Back? And that was just an interesting thing because it took me to a memory. We had some friends who were missionaries. Well, not missionaries. They were they're teachers. Um, uh, Joy and Gary Best. Gary's written a book called The Naturally Supernatural. And Gary has come and, and taught a couple of times, has done a teaching here at Genesis. And Gary's like a grandfather. He loves and gives himself away. And as we were with them one Sunday morning, I think it was like five years ago, and I remember this like it was yesterday, uh, Gary was just praying for people just to receive the Holy Spirit, to be filled with God's Spirit, to move out in God's love. And, and I was up here, and I don't know if it was Gary or Joy, they, they put their hand on my back and were praying for me. And you have those moments when someone just touches you and it just feels like love. Even if it's just for a moment on your back and you're just like, oh. Feels like God, feels like presence, it feels like hope. I mean, it feels like presence, right? Someone with you. At the end of that, they came up to me and they're like, oh, Bo, we feel like the Lord was saying this. I've got your back. That's what the Lord was saying. If the Lord was saying to me, I've got your back. Connected to the feeling, I was like, yeah, that's what that felt like to me. It resonated. God's got my back. Now, Brad was writing because someone was going through affliction and suffering and made that statement, and Brad is the one who has written extensively on this, on this idea of combining together the immense love of God and also the immense affliction that's going on in the world. Wrestling with those things. 
not settling for simple answers that push all the ways that the only people who believe those answers are people who engage the Bible, but really trying to wrestle with, true, with reality for what is true. And so the thing that I want to wrestle with this morning with you is this. Does God got our back? And if so, what does that mean? Tangibly, physically, for reality, does God have our back? Now, there's a thing called positive, um, uh, like wrestling through the scriptures, and there's negative. And so it's taking stuff, and it says, well, it doesn't mean this. That's negative theology. There's nothing wrong with that, because all the time we have to do that. We're wrestling with these realities. Now, I speak from that from the overflow right now of, of this. When I mentioned these things that I haven't been able to do, those come out of seasons of affliction. Seasons of affliction where Carmel was, went off an asthma medicine for a month that created a break in her. That created, that created such turmoil and panic where her skin was crawling and it took a month to, to realize that that asthma medicine had a black box warning on it. Meaning that something gets a black box warning, uh, like you know, alcohol has a black box warning, cigarettes have a black box warning, opioids have a black box warning, because they cause destruction on people in different places that can kill you either from cancer or other things, but this particular asthma medicine has called psychotic breaks in people to where a number of people have taken their own lives. And so she went through that for a month until she realized, oh, wait a minute, this asthma medicine I was taking has a black box warning. What if it was this? And, and immediately within two days, she feels like she's back to her, the soundness of mind. And you can breathe a little bit, but yet you've gone through a month of affliction where you can't do anything, nothing. Overwhelmed with life that feels so out of your hands. Affliction. And we came out of that and we're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Only to get the flu <laughs> that annihilated our family. And put Jericho on the hospital with some crazy blood thing where his kidneys aren't fully formed. It's called immature kidneys, and I can go into that. And so he went into the hospital. I had the flu. Harvest had the flu. And our family who came in to visit us could not visit us. So that lasted for a couple weeks. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We recovered from the flu only to get COVID after two years of not doing it. I, I was the carrier. I brought it into my home. Eight days later, I gave it to Jericho, the youngest, our 11-month-old. Two days later, Harvest gets it, and two days later, Carmel gets it. Now, my wife has had lung issues, and so we were being super, super careful because it puts her in a bad spot. And so those of you who've seen her Facebook post, as of Wednesday, she has been in the hospital. She, um, she had COVID for about a week. They kept say, you know, the doctor's like, go to, go to the hospital. So she is there, she's, been, she's getting an IV for five days of a certain antiviral medicine. God willing, she'll come home tomorrow. That, that's, that's our hope. But it's still affliction, right? And so uh, the last thing I want to do is like, oh, all right, here's, here's some love. Let's go out and do this in this world. And saying, oh. Now, on top of all of that, we sat down with our staff team and we all sat there together and I threw out the question 
to them or on one of our lunches, what's the heaviest thing you're carrying? What's, what's, what's heavy right now? And without blinking an eye, everyone was able to bring up something so heavy that would drop every one of us to their knees. Now, we can take that and we can, we can put some sort of spiritual, we can overly spiritualize that and say, this is an attack of the devil. Maybe, I don't know. Or, it's affliction in life. Or it is what it is. Suffering. With, with no explanation that can really give it justice. Except for the fact that it is. It is real. It is painful. It is tragic. It sucks. It is not good. It is not from God. Nor are we trying to say, in some way, figure out how to twist it in a way that says, well, God's good, but like some way to make it all go away. Well, that doesn't do it justice because it doesn't go away. And from time, you can read about theologians and thinkers who have tried try to explain things and some take a hold of them and it and offers good news but many people look at it and say you've just made bad news good news have you ever had anybody try to do that for you well, they try to make bad news good news we can't do that god is good that is so true but there is affliction you can, you can read about this crazy, I mean, natural disasters are the ones that gets everybody. It's the ones where many people might feel like they need to have an explanation to defend God. There was a massive earthquake in like 1740, I believe it was in Central America or somewhere, and it was on All Saints Day, which is the day before Halloween which they just sort of memorize, you remember those who have passed away. And on that day, seven cathedrals collapsed, killing 60 to 100,000 people in that area. And not only that, after they collapsed and people fought their way out of the rubble, a tsunami, a tsunami hit. And you can read about the thinkers and the theologians of the day trying to wrestle with these ideas, with, with these these things and so today is not to to, to do that but yeah I wanted to we're, we're gonna get there we're, we're gonna go there here in a few weeks not to provide the answers that polish up things but to be people who are fully engaged with God and fully engaged in the world and people who can tell the truth who can speak about the realities of suffering and pain and still know what is true. But today, in the midst of affliction and pain, I want to hold what is true, which is, God has my back, God has Carmel's back, and God has your back. And what I want to hold out is, how is that true? For a moment. And I can, can, let me just speak for a second about how that isn't true. 
if that means that there is no pain and suffering, for God not to have you back would mean that you would not experience any kind of turmoil or pain. Well, that isn't true. That's not what it means. Psalm 91 is this beautiful, beautiful psalm. Can I read Psalm 91 for you? Just verses 9 to 16. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, if you take this, this poetic psalm that was written by David, who did not experience this, if you take this literally, for those who have made the Lord the Most High, will not suffer any harm or disaster, the only thing you can do is victim blame and say, well, you really haven't made the Lord your Most High. <laughs> because this is the case. But that's, this is not what God has your back means. That you will not experience disaster or suffering or pain. That's not what it means. And so we stand here not to push away or not to inflate, or not to say, oh, there's nothing we can do with suffering or disaster or hardship. We say, oh, there's absolutely things that we can do. And, and we're not deists who believe that God put all this in motion and then stands outside of it doing nothing. Oh, not at all. But there is hope because God has our back. What does this mean and why does that matter? Well, now, this is an idiom, right, this expression. That, uh, God has your back is not in the Bible. Right? It's just something I'm going off of because it resonates. It's an idiom. Do you know what it means? For the most part, right, it's an expression. When somebody says, if Mike and I are going someplace, like, Mike, I got your back. That means if he's going to go in and there's trouble, it's like, okay, what you can't see, I'm going to see and I'm going to step in with you. For just the sake of an urban dictionary, <laughs> not that that means it's not, and that means it's true or not, but just so we can have a working idea of what we're going with. It's an expression assuming someone, assuring someone that you are watching out for them. It comes from making sure you are safe by watching what's behind you when you're busy looking ahead. So in some way, what we're trying to say, when God has your back, means that in everything that happens, because it does, for everything that happens, God cares. And not just a caring, that God has some sort of caring feeling within his heart, but a sense that God cares who is with you and in you and present and there. Boots on the ground. God cares. So I, I ask you, just for the sake of trying to see, is this relevant or not? 
to see if this reality of affliction and, and suffering is this relevant to people. Who here, now I'm, hear me foremost, I am in the middle of affliction right now. My family is in the middle of affliction right at this moment. Right here, right now. I acknowledge it and I admit it. I'm not trying to cover over it, deny it, or lie about it. Just for the sake of saying, is this a real thing? Who else would, you, would say, yeah, me too. Your affliction does not need to be like mine. It does not need to be that you're in the hospital. Affliction is pain and suffering. It's not measured on a scale of who has it the worst. If we did that, we would all just feel awful leaving here. So would you raise your hand high just so we can see, is this applicable? Is this, is this relatable? Is this about humanity? Yeah. And if you are not, <laughs> yeah, what, three to, to 82. And if you are not here now, you will be at some moment. We know that. That is not being like, oh, the shoe's going to fall, here's the bad news. No, there's a support of life that is there. But here's the truth that we want to hold and sit in this morning for a few more minutes. God has our back. What does that mean? And so, can, can you turn to the person next to you and just say, God has your back. And so I want to put this this way. And I'm going to say that, maybe, let me say this even more strongly. God always has your back. That does not negate affliction or suffering. It does not undermine this as not being true. But it means this. God always has my back and your back. It means that in the incarnation of Christ, meaning in the God with us of Jesus, God fully knows and fully participates in my affliction and in your affliction and in the affliction of this world. So I want to turn to Hebrews. So here's the scripture. Now here's this anchoring of these realities this is where I was finding some hope this week, because I wanted to share it with you. We could talk about this a ton of different ways, but this is what we wanted to do today. This is in Hebrews 2, and it's talking about a God who fully knows and fully participates in our afflictions. Hebrews 2, verses 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is, the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps. They're talking about God. They're talking about Jesus here, the Messiah. But Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them. 
fully human in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the world. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Now this Hebrews 2 text right here is saying, boy, Jesus, when he came, this is God who fully knows and who fully participates in our affliction. He became flesh and blood. He experienced suffering. And not only that, he participated even in our death. That reality of it. Not not just the idea of it, he participated in it. Fully human, fully God. This is where it all just sort of breaks down. We wrestle. Here's God who's got our back, is a God who's fully participating in it all the suffering, the affliction, and even death. So that, that it can break that power of the one who holds fear. The one who holds us as slaves to our fear of death. Jesus was fully human. He becomes a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. This is a metaphor. This is a picture that we can understand. This is the way in Hebrews they're trying to help us understand how God is fully with us and how God has got our backs. So they use this metaphor of a high priest who is there in service of God and in service to humanity, but who was one there in service with mercy and faithfulness and making atonement for sin. And so Jesus, when he's on that cross, speaks these words over us. Your sins are forgiven. But really he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Jesus is the high priest who is merciful and faithful. He is the one who has the authority to forgive sins. And so they're forgiven. This text goes on. It picks back up in chapter 4, verses 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess or profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize. To to Somebody say that for me. Emphasize. Thank you. Let me try that again. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize. Do not correct me in front of the others. <laughs> I always had a friend who would say that in front of others and I always laughed. I can't say the word. We do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize, emphasize. All right, doesn't matter. Do you get it? <laughs> Jesus, have mercy. I can't even say that word. Who has empathy, right? He has empathy for our weakness. <laughs> Here's my weakness. I'm like, Lord, I can't speak properly. Yep, say it anyways. 
right? With our weaknesses. Do you get it? Do you have weaknesses? Absolutely. Are some here because of suffering? Yeah. By your own fault? Nope. By God trying to teach you something? No way. Do you have them so that good can come? No. These are here. We acknowledge them. They're present. But God has our back. It's merciful. Has empathy for our weakness. Who has suffered. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Yet, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a God who's merciful and gracious. And so in our times of need, which are more present than we would like, Believe me, I, I measure my need against yours. Do you do that? Do you have people you're like, oh my word, you're the neediest person I know. And I do not want to be like them. <laughs> do you? But yet our God says, approach the God of all grace and confidence so that he can meet you in your need. This is the God who has our back. And so this has real life consequences and real life meaning for all of us who find ourselves in real affliction. And so this matters because of Jesus. So that when we are tempted, we will not fall away. That kind of tempting will be tempting to despair. The kind of tempting that says, in the same way, you know that text I was reading in, in Psalm 91 about God having their back and stuff? Um, David wrote it, but the only person that we see in Scripture using it is Satan. <laughs> That's the text that Satan reads to Jesus and says, well, um, if this is how God cares about you, throw your, test it. Test it. Throw yourself off of this. And Jesus is like, you do not test the Lord your God. And so we have this one, so we have this temptation to be like, oh God, if you really loved me, you would stop this. So make this go away. That's called testing God. Or we'll despair and say, oh, this must prove that God doesn't love me in the midst of affliction. Or it just means, oh my gosh, all of my sins of the past or my parents or somebody's are coming against us. These are temptations. And yet we have the one, the high priest, who is merciful saying, now I've made you right, I've atoned for your sin, I have forgiven you, and I will give you grace and mercy within your weakness. And if you want to look at what this looks like, look at me suffering and experiencing suffering. The same God who is on the cross says, I'm thirsty. Can you give me something to drink? The same God who voices to disciples, 
my heart is distraught. Would you come and pray with me? Why does this matter? We have a God who even shows need and invites others to love him in his need. And Jesus said that when you love others in their need, you're going to be like me, a servant, loving your brothers and sisters. So God has got our back. Knowing that God has this changes this. So what does it change? If I know, and this is from what Brad wrote, and I love this. If I know God is with me and in me and loving me, then I will act in a particular way. Again, that's important, right? This is knowing that God loves us. Knowing that God is with us. Knowing that God is in us. That knowing, that deep kind of knowing then leads to a kind of action. This is not action in order to earn, right? This is the kind of deep knowing. This is, this is what was said about Jesus when he said, Jesus knew where he was from. He knew he was going and he knew the Father's love of him. And so he, he serves he humbles himself. He goes to the cross. So when I know that God is with me and in me through the Spirit and loving me, then I will act in a particular way. I will trust God and surrender to his mercy. Surrendering to God's mercy in the midst of affliction. I will open my life to real-world care from God through others. Right? You know what that looks like. That means you let other people know when you're experiencing affliction, when you're experiencing hardship. It means you don't isolate. It means you don't deny. It means when somebody says, how's it going? You don't say, eh, it's Okay. We let others in to our life. We open ourselves to real world care from God through others. Because others are the body of Christ. And for me, opening in Carmel, for us in our affliction, that means we tell people, they pray for us. And we have a meals team, and they're bringing food. I can order DoorDash myself, right? I mean, I can, I can type it out and, and send that, but other people are saying, let me love you. And I'll order the DoorDash for you. <laughs> and let people in to, that, to, the, to the hardship for real world care. This is the body of Christ. This is what love looks like to God. Is that we let others in. And we get over the fact if we look like we're the neediest. So be it. Let me take the prize. I'm the neediest among you. I need your care. Now I know some needies, some other needy people here. And maybe lock arms together, caring for one another in our weakness. This matters so we can open ourselves up to receive the real world care from others. This is what the 
thing the body of Christ looks like. But it also matters because I will open up my life, open myself to serve in real world care of God for others. It matters. It's real world care for others that I open myself to do. And sometimes I can step into that and other times I cannot. The real world care for those in our backyards, for those here, for those in the Ukraine, for those in Africa, those in, all over the world. We open ourselves up to care. We have an extra set of hands and eyes watching out for us. They're called the body of Christ for this very reason. This is what it means for God to have your back. Giving you grace and mercy within your weakness. So you can confidently come before God and his people. There's a negative to this. Because you can go the other way. See, there, there's a stream, there is a river in the universe, in this world. It's a river of God's love that flows one direction. It flows in love. The royal law of God is this, to love God and to love others as an expression of loving God. And that's the way the river of God flows. And you can choose not to go in it. You can choose to swim against it, and that's called sin. Well, the way of God, self-giving love of God, it flows, and we choose to do something else. When we choose not to receive it, and we choose not to give it, not to, not to be concerned, not to care, and so we isolate ourselves, or we white-knuckle, we do everything ourselves. So we can choose to go another way. Not knowing that God is with us or not believing that he's with us and in us and loving us. And so you can find your way through life that's unhealthy and destructive. And many of us have found ourselves there. Still there. As we're trying for our faith to grow and our trust to go into God so we could put down some of those coping mechanisms that we know all have a black box warning on them. <laughs> right? <laughs> Every one of them has a black box warning that says, if you go that way, it's not in the flow of love, it's a coping mechanism for the suffering of life, and it will lead to death. And you've already experienced it, you already know what that feels like. So we can go that route, and many of us do, and God's inviting us another way. He's not trying to make us afraid of that route, we already know that route leads to death. And we can give up on reaching out, and we can isolate ourselves from the care of God through others. So we won't tell anybody, we're just going to hunker down and we're going to take care of it ourselves. Or we can live in the insanity of thinking that we have to watch our own backs in every situation. Whew, we know people who are trying to do that. We saw what that insanity looks like right when COVID hit. That kind of insanity to have people stockpiling toilet paper. What the hell? Right? It's insane. That's what it looks like that insanity to say, I have to watch my back. 
it seems that some people sort of manage this way fine. But it is not true. That is not the way to life. So I close with this. But when affliction comes, and it will, I don't manage well on my own. Do you? And here's the truth. I don't need to. And you don't need to. So let's not. <laughs> let's not manage affliction on our own. And let's take a deep breath of the care of God who has our back. And the care of one another who has our back. And approach the throne of God who is merciful and graceful with confidence. So would you stand with me? I forgot to tell you we were going to take communion. So Nate's going to come and pass this. And so if you got, so there's a basket right here if you want to grab one. Um, for those of you who are on Facebook or in a hospital, I see my wife there. Whoa. I didn't expect you to have your camera on. See, that's a picture of what it's like not to pretend that you're not in need. Isn't that true? Most of us would turn our camera off. Not her. Real life need, real life affliction. Let it be. But God has her back and our back. Is that denying suffering? No. Nor is it denying the goodness of God that is an utter truth. God has our back. And so, babe, when you're in the hospital, if you've got jello or, or water, would you remember with us? And so, there's a liturgy that was written in the fifth century of St. John of the Cross. And there's a part of that liturgy that I wanted us to read together before we take communion. As we remember Jesus, who the cross just sort of silences everything and makes us shake our head and saying, what, suffering? And it's like, yeah, look at Jesus, who suffered, who took on affliction himself. And we scratch our head at our God, who overcomes death with love and embraces us as the high priest. So we're going to take this and eat in remembrance of Jesus finding strength within our own suffering. The kind of strength that is willing to embrace others and to receive the care, the grace and mercy of our God through one another. And the kind of strength that will mobilize us to care for those who are experiencing affliction right now. So we eat and drink to be animated and be fueled with the life of God. But I want to pray this ancient prayer before this 
And I want to ask you to pray it with me. And so, Ryan, if you'd put those words up there, you already have them. And so, I want you to, let's, let's pray it all. This is a, a 1,500-year-old liturgy. It might even been before that because they kind of took these prayers that's, you know, like at the end of the 400s, right? The beginning of the 400s, the 5th century. So, let us pray. For our deliverance from all affliction, wrath, danger, and necessity, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Help us. Save us. Have mercy on us. And keep us, O God, by your grace. And the testimony of Scripture in Hebrews 4, the testimony of all the gospel, that is the life of Jesus Christ, that is the gospel, the story of God, shouts a resounding, yes, receive my grace and mercy. From heaven, striking earth, and from my body. And so we say yes, and we receive the mercy of God found through Jesus and his body broken for us on a cross and we eat the God who became like us and withheld nothing. Who endured on our behalf, who suffered and expressed his self-giving love for us. And we praise God who the one whose blood was shed and we said that through this, through this gift, all of the sin and the death and the destruction since the beginning of time, before the cross of Jesus, and beyond that cross to the end of time, is forgiven through the blood of Jesus, through the overwhelming self-giving love of God, pours out and says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And we drink of this promise and this goodness of God. Amen. Amen. So church, today, here in a couple weeks, we're going to dig more, more into this. These big, it's going to be really, it's going to be good. It's going to be messy. Because sometimes we have, our thinking about God may not be true. So we grow. Jesus said, I have so many things to tell you that you cannot handle right now. But when the Spirit comes, He will lead you into all truth. So we want to join in, in, in continuing these kinds of conversations. But today, may you go in the grace and mercy of God. And if you saw others whose hands were raised, would you put a hand on them? <laughs> so again, would you raise your hand if you raised your hand earlier? And so, if you see somebody with their hand raised, would you just put a hand upon them? I'm going to have Andrew put his hand on me. All right. Because <laughs> he often does. He's one of the first people to grab a hold of me and the first person he tells me he likes me. And you see the people, would you put a hand upon them? And so we remind each other, God has your back. And we remind each other as the body of Christ that we have your back.
And so with confidence, we go before the beauty of Jesus, receiving in our weakness his grace and his mercy. And I pray that you would receive it from that touch of that person next to you. Much as I did about five years ago when that hand hit my back, and it just touched me, and I felt the presence of God through another human. May you feel it and know it, the presence of God. May you receive it in your moments of need. And may you be able to give it to those who are in need. That is the pilgrim's journey that we are all on. May you go with Jesus with hope and refreshment today as a God who has got your back. May it affect your living. May it affect your receiving and your giving today. May you go in peace. God, have mercy. God, have mercy on those who are on Zoom, on Facebook. God, have mercy on you, Carmel. May you come home soon. May we go with God. We, I love you. We love you. And we hope to see you soon. Amen. Amen.